masterclass, relationship masterclass, and we're dealing with biblical principles of choosing a life partner, not the world system. So today, I'm going to hurry because we have um, taken so much time. Truly, I didn't really plan to take this much time in um, doing masterclass. So we're going to rush a bit and see how far we can go covering a lot of subjects today. Hope you guys don't mind if I am a bit fast. So, I'm going to do a quick recap, very quick. I've given, I think, so far, six, five principles. The first one I gave was intimacy with God, that's having a relationship with God. If the two parties have a relationship with God, it makes things easier. Number two, we talked about having knowledge. Now, our key scripture on that is Proverbs 24. When Proverbs 24, verse 3 to 5, you get all that. We have talked about knowledge, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, wisdom. And it's so necessary for a house to be built and for that house to have treasures in it, you know, and all those things. Very, very, very key. Then, the third is purpose. Purpose is very, very important because it's, for, for me, it's um, in the ranking of, if I am personally am to rank the principles, purpose will be up there. Not like the first, definitely not, but no, up there because a man and a woman that knows his or her purpose, it's really easier for her to be able to choose or him to choose from the lot very very easy then we talked about um, number four now uh, work on yourself work on yourself very very critical you need to work on yourself you need to work on yourself because you can't want mr. perfect when you are miss imperfect you can't want miss perfect when you are just you know not good enough to handle Miss Perfect. So whilst you are waiting for your prince to find you fair lady, once you are still searching for your princess, become the best prince or the best king. Become the best queen. So a king will find you. Because if you remain a commoner, a king will not find you. If you remain just a normal guy, you can never marry a princess. Princesses only marry princes. So why don't you, why don't you make yourself a princess so you can qualify for the love of the king or vice versa you know what i mean so work on yourself the next principle i talked about is maturity maturity cannot be understated but like i said it's not just about number but we believe that an adult should be able to get married you can get married at any time no i've heard some people um in uh, relationship um, conferences and seminars they try to put an age they try to put a number to the as well to to add to the age where when somebody should get married. I was in one conference over about um, 20, over 20 years ago and um, the convener was asked at what is the right age for a woman to get married and in that conference he said 25. Ah, uh, a woman can marry at any time. What matters is if that woman is matured, matured enough to handle the, the issues that come from marriage. So that woman needs to be matured. And vice versa, the man also needs to be matured to handle the issues that come from the marriage. Very, very important. So maturity is so, so, so important when it comes to the choice of a life partner. Then, uh, let me just say something about this maturity. Somebody hit me a question about it when I thought about it. Somebody asked me a question, I think yesterday or today, sent me a message regarding that. He was asking if, uh, he said, um, in the instance of this maturity, because I, I gave a scripture, if I'm not if I'm right yesterday regarding that, First Peter three seven, say husbands likewise dwell with your wife, you know, 
with knowledge, uh, New King James said, with understanding. Dwell with your wife with understanding. As giving honor to your wife as being the weaker vessel. As being the weaker vessel. And I made it clear that being a weaker vessel there doesn't really mean being weak physically. Though women are not as strong as the men. You need to know that for sure. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a whole lot of things beyond that. Women emotionally are not strong. That's strong. Those some women are. Some women have toughened up based on a lot of things that have happened to them. Maybe their are upbringing, their past. So it's really women that grew up rough. That didn't have people to fend for them. They toughen up quickly and easily. But, you know, generally, a, a, a woman generally is... Um, is is emotional you know god has both male and female attributes in him so when god created man he put male and female in that man so when god created eve i think he put more of the emotional parts of him in the woman that is why women tend to be more emotional in quote than men that does not mean that men are not emotional men are highly and very 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 emotional creatures oh yes they are oh we are rather i'm saying they like i'm not a man <laughs> i am a man you know we are so what what is my point the emotions of a woman is not wrong it's not bad it is good every human being is an emotional emotional creature that was why marriage was instituted by God. Marriage is an emotional need meeting arrangement. So why am I saying that? I tried to answer a question. So, so he was asking, what if your 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 spouse, your wife, or whoever you're, you're, you're looking at marrying is overly emotional? I mean, her own emotions is like overboard. And I'll answer that question in two or three ways. First, I will say to the guy, um, if he's if he's listening, be grateful that your that, that your woman is emotional. Yeah, be grateful because it is um, it's going to be tough for you if she isn't. No man wants another man. Actually, what attracts a man, a real man, to a woman is her femininity, and her femininity part of it talks about her being emotional, her ability to show her emotions and all that. So I will say, be grateful for that now speaking secondly now speaking from a male perspective from a man's perspective at times it can be too much uh, it, can, it can be a handful to say the least so i will say to the woman yes be emotional yes show your, your emotions then don't be overly emotional don't be overly emotional at times men find it um too much to handle especially african men because if you go to europe and all that and you go elsewhere you note excuse me you notice that it is their culture because in our culture as africans it's a bit difficult for us to contain a woman's emotions but in other cultures like the the, the european culture american culture they have been raised in such a way that they can deal with a woman's excessive emotions so based on the different cultures you know my answer will be a bit different because a lot of people listen to my to my live stream from all over the world so i'll say to the africans because the answer will be tailored to 
the specific people. Why? Because Paul said something. Paul said to the Jews, I'll be a Jew. To the Gentiles, I'll be a Gentile. So depending on the situation, the environment, the culture, especially, you know, because in relationships, culture play a large role, you know, so we cannot um, overlook that. So to that question, there's no one straight answer. So I'll tell you the culture. Like I've already said, for us Africans, because of the way we are raised, our environment we are raised, the chauvinistic thing about the male and all that, and the so-called um, impression that what a woman is supposed to be and all that. I don't believe in that. Remember, what we're still dealing with is the biblical principle. Though I will still talk about the different cultures and how to handle different cultures, we will still come down to the Bible because the Bible is the foundation. I personally, I teach the Bible. I don't teach man's doctrine. There should be a balance. It should be a balance. But personally, I believe women should show their emotions. Very important. Because if she doesn't show her emotions, if she doesn't talk about how she feels, how then will her need be met? Because marriage is all about meeting it. So she should be able to express herself emotionally. So that is where I have a problem with the African tradition, with the African culture. You don't tell a woman to shush. You don't put her down and, 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 and overlook how she feels and ride over her. No, you don't do that. Because she was created in the image of God and God is emotional. You need to let her express herself. Then as a man, you need to listen to her. So let's go back to the Bible. Remember um, um, Ephesians chapter 5, from verse 21 down to the end of that chapter, where God, or rather Paul, gave us a narrative about the man and his wife vis-a-vis -vis Christ and the church. When you look through those verses, you will see how he stated that Christ treats the church. And he kept on saying, this is the way the husband should treat the wife. And you look through that, you see that the way Christ treats us, he doesn't treat us like we are, we are one rag somewhere. Remember, we're the bride. Because as men, as husbands, as the guy that is date that is uh, cutting a woman, we should try to pattern our relationship just as Christ patterns his relationship with us, the church. Whilst the lady tries to pattern the way she relates with her man, just like the way the church should relate to Christ. So that is the standard. And when you look through those verses, for verse 21, he made it clear. The first thing is submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. That's the first thing Paul talked about. Usually when we talk about this, um, what times when a lot of preachers, I inclusive those days, but I don't do it anymore, you know, preach from that scripture. We start from verse 22. We ignore verse 21. It shouldn't be so. Even when you go back to that place I read for you, first Peter chapter 3 verse 7, when you continue reading, you also see where, where Peter said that the husband should be careful, not just about how he treats the wife, that he should honor the wife. This is just like what Paul was talking about here, submitting yourself one to another. So verse 21 should be included in, the, in, in that context, in this range of scriptures, not excluded. So you see that the way that, that Christ treats the woman, he treats us, his, his bride, with so much care and love. He takes into cognizance that we have emotions. So he's also careful not to you know, damp our emotions, not to constantly get us depressed, and not also 
to treat us anyhow. He's careful. Now look at the way Jesus talks to the church, talks to us, his bride. He he talks to us in a loving manner. He doesn't scream, shout, call us names. Even when we do something wrong, he shows us love. I mean, his love is, is no, knows no bounds for the church. That same way, husbands should treat their wives. So you don't kill the emotional part of your wife. No, you don't. If you do, it will be a marriage between Adam and Steve. You didn't marry to, to, to another man. You got married to a woman for a reason. She has to bring that into play. So very important, every husband, every husband should note that. It's very, 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 very important. Let me read one verse from that. It's now said in verse 28 of that Ephesians chapter 5. Remember, I'm reading from New King James Version, verse 28. It now said, So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. I mean, the, the analogy of, of loving your wife as you love your body is really clear by times. You don't really focus on that verse. The first issue you ask yourself is, how do you treat your body? Do you willingly on your own cause pain to yourself? You know, a lot of people, especially in Europe, you know, have this demonic bout where they self-inflict wounds on them because they derive this, you know, I don't know what to call it, satisfaction from pain. That is demonic. No normal person can do, will do that. No, no normal person derives pleasure from pain. When we talk about the husband loving their wives as their own bodies, it goes, it, it, it covers every ramification. You don't cause pain, emotional pain, to your spouse. You don't cause emotional pain to your wife. At least you try as much as possible not to do that. You see what he now said in verse 29. He said, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but what nourishes and cherishes the Lord. Does the church. He's telling that clearly. So it's very, very important. So no one hated his own body, but nourishes it. So this is something we need to take into cognizance. Very, very important. Very, very important that we do that. So now to balance it. Does that mean that so we should not give in to all the whims and emotional tantrums? and everything because at times when what usually happens is that sorry to use this word some women whenever they see that when they do that it works for them human nature will say oh keep doing that so you have your way you know my my my, my son the last one have found a discovered one secret that if he can come to his mommy keeping his face somehow they call it that puppy dog glue and kiss you have so i say mommy I want chips. He has discovered that that face, that voice, works always. So he uses it on her. And he's succeeding. Whenever he comes like that, he will have his way. So one day, God, I say you don't give in to that. You don't risk it making them think that they can have everything. They need to also understand that there is denial. That you are denied something does not mean you have refused it. Is all part of the process of training kids so they can have control. So when it also comes to the, the family, wives, don't also use that to manipulate your husband. Don't do that because no man wants to be manipulated. Ladies, listen to me. Because when they find out that they are being manipulated, 
the side of that man you will see, you will not like it. I'm telling you, you will definitely not like it. Why? Do you know what he's going to feel? Number one, he's going to feel that he has been used. He's going to feel that he has been used. He's going to feel that he does not really matter. He's going to feel a whole lot of things. And his reaction to that, you don't want to know about it. He's going to react totally negative in such a way that you won't even believe the reaction. It will shock you. So don't be like that. Don't ever manipulate the man. So when, but when truly you are emotional about something, you are truly hot. Yeah, show it. But never use it as, a, as an asset to gain something. Don't, you, don't ever do that. Because you make the man feel that he is not intelligent. That you are using his sense. You are using his brain. That is an M-U-M-U. Yes, a man can be M-U-M-U when he's cutting you. But don't make him feel like an M-U-M-U in marriage. Don't do that. Men hate that. They react violently, negatively to that. And you wouldn't want that man like that. Believe me, you wouldn't at all, at all. You wouldn't want that man. So there should be a healthy balance. That's, that's just what I'm saying. There should be a healthy balance. A healthy balance. Divine direction. We talked about that yesterday. That's basically just what we talked about yesterday. And it was awesome. How to utilize the Holy Ghost on your inside. The Holy Ghost on our inside is the asset God has given us for success here on earth, you know. And most of us have the Holy Ghost on our inside, but the Holy Ghost is trapped. The Holy Ghost is in chains. We need to unleash the Holy Ghost and utilize His power to turn around our world. You know, Pastor Chukudio, when he says something, I can never forget the rest of my life. He said, when God gave us Jesus, He gave us everything, and that is true. When we read Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, you know, say for by Him, all things we are made. You read um, Hebrews chapter 1. He said, everything that you see made, every single thing, they were all made by Jesus Christ. So you cannot have the maker, the creator, the source of everything and not have everything. That statement is so true. But see the second part of the statement I love. He said, but when God gave us the Holy Spirit, He gave us Himself. Wow. You cannot have God Himself and fail. It's impossible. We need a revelation of having God Himself. When you have understanding, you know, cast a revelation that you have God Himself on you, nothing, nothing, nothing can ever, ever stop you. Nothing. You become unstoppable. Totally unstoppable. Nothing can stop you. So you cannot have the Holy Ghost on your inside. And you, and you suffer defeat. You fail. There's something you don't know. We need to unleash it. You need to unleash it. You need to release the Holy Ghost. Take the Holy Ghost, take the handcuffs, the shackles of the Holy Ghost, and let the Holy Ghost move into action. So that was yesterday. So get, get that message from my YouTube channel, Saints. That should be part three of this series on divine direction. But today, we are looking at spiritual homogeneity. Homogeneity as a principle of choosing a life partner. Spiritual compatibility, spiritual homogeneity. Spiritual homogeneity is very, very, very important as a principle. Whenever we talk about spiritual homogeneity, everybody's mind goes to just one scripture. And that is true. Everybody's mind goes to one scripture. Now, see second Corinthians, actually where I'm going to. Chapter 6, chapter 6, 2 Corinthians. I'll start reading from verse 14. The Bible says something in verse 14. It says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Before I have a problem with that verse, I used to be like, why did Paul use um, the type of speech called tautology. What is unequally yoked with an unbeliever? That, that sentence has two negatives 
in it. Usually, when you have two negatives in a sentence, it's not proper grammar. Do not. In fact, it has yeah, two, two negatives. The first one is not. Do not. The second one is unequal. Unequally yoked. With the unbelievers. Like, why don't you just say, do not be yoked with an unbeliever? Once the Holy Ghost took me to a master class. I, I also go for a master class with the Holy Ghost. You know what he told me? He said to start with. Now I need to understand the dispensation when this when the Bible was written. It was written in the day where, you know, because part of the career or part of the things that the Jews, uh, their, their basic source of income is um, farming, agriculture. That is why they have the best um, agriculture. I mean, they're most advanced when it comes to agricultural science in the world, even right now. Yeah. But anyway, he now said, if in those days they didn't have tractors like we have now, you just get a big tractor and attach the plow or the ridge to it as you drive through your farm. The plow plows the farm and all that. So what they used to do, instead of the tractor, they used to have oxen, massive bulls. And when they get two of it, they will yoke it together. You know, told me, do you remember when Elijah found Elisha? He was in the farm, farming. And the Bible says that he has, I don't know if I remember clearly, I think he said either two yokes or six yokes of oxen or something, working in a farm. Meaning he had like two tractors, um, six two or three tractors, each of those yoked oxen is like a tractor today and they'll put a wooden plow behind it so as the uh, oxen goes through the field the plow now plows the ground and softens it and breaks it up the, the hard parts he now said so that a wise farmer and a skilled farmer will not get an ox and a goat and yoke them together he said do you know why he said is the if the horsepower of one oxen is say 10 horsepowers, 10 HP, and a goat is 2 HP, normal mathematics plus addition, when you yoke 10 and 2, you are supposed to get 12. But in physics and you know, in engineering, when it comes to that, where you yoke 10 and 2, you don't have 12. You actually reduce the 10 horsepower of the 10 horsepower of the of the of the oxen yeah you actually reduce it because it's going to struggle to to carry to carry the goat and the goat will struggle to keep up with the oxen at the end of the day the oxen is not even functioning at its own full capacity he will be functioning below capacity the goat will not even function at all so it is even better that that oxen functions alone without being yoked than an oxen gets yoked with a sheep or a goat, you reduce their combined capacity. But he said, see, when you get one oxen of 10 horsepower, get another one of 10 horsepower, yoke them together. I was like, wow, I was so excited. I said, you get 20 horsepower. He said, no. I said, hey, why not? He said, when you get 10 horsepower and you combine another 10 horsepower, you don't get 20 horsepower. He said that what is at work immediately is no longer addition, that what is at work immediately is called synergy. I was like, wow. And my mind flew back to my training. I'm, I'm trained as a, as a banker and a financier. And we are taught synergy. There's something called synergy in finance. And the synergy in finance, it taught us that one plus one is not two. Actually, one plus one can be three, five, seven, eight, depending on the liabilities from the two companies that are coming together. 
That is not multiplication. It is not addition. It is multiplication. In some cases, it is even explanation. And immediately, the scripture dropped in my mind when the Bible says that one will chase a thousand, two will chase ten thousand. I was like, wow. So he said, what that scripture is actually saying is that a believer and an unbeliever to start with are not equals. He says, like the ox and a pig, they are not equals. To start with, when you yoke them, I wish I brought a yoke. When you yoke them, they, because of the height difference, the neck of the ox will go one side. That's the problem. He said, that is what happens when a believer marries an unbeliever. It is an unequal yoke. The believer's capacity is reduced. It, it crashes. I was like, oh my God. Then I said, how come a lot of Christians, especially the ladies, when they wait for a husband, they don't see a husband, they say, at all, at all, and I am bad. They look for the closest man, and they grab, and they get married. Whether he's, you have to, is this man born again? They'll say, ah, but, um, uh, sir, he's close to God. He loves God. He goes to church. Going to church doesn't make you born again. Loving God doesn't make you born again. So it is stated clearly, categorically, in black and white, in the Holy Scriptures, that a believer should have nothing to do with an unbeliever. It should not be done. It should not be done. See the next thing he said. He said, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship? He said, and what communion has light with darkness? What communion? Now I'm going to do something. I'm going to put off the, all the lights in this room. And we're going to do something. I want you to observe clearly, those watching. Please, observe clearly. I'll put off all the lights. Let's see what will happen when the light comes. Let's see if there will be a tussle between light and darkness. Maybe you look where, look where. Maybe you see darkness coming one side. Then light coming one side. And they'll come at the middle. And someone will push. Someone will say no. Someone will push, push. Someone will say no. They will push. I see they're doing top of. So we're in darkness now. Are you guys ready? Look well, look well. We're going to bring light now. Let's see if there will be a fight. Yes, are you ready? One, two, go. Do you guys see any fights? I need answers. Was there any fight? Was there any tussle? Did you see light and darkness fighting? There is no fight. If there is darkness alone, darkness rules. But once light comes, darkness has nothing. There is no fight. You see, there is no communion, meaning there is no relationship. There is not like, let's come together and fuse. So, my, my darkness can be turned to grey. Because of your light. No. In the realm of the spirit, there are no middle grounds. There's a spiritual law called the principle of the middle grounds. It simply states, in the realm of the spirit, there are no middle grounds. It's either you are white or you are black. There is no gray area. There is no sitting on the fence. So, light cannot marry darkness. Darkness cannot marry light. It is as clear as black and white. So, when we come to spiritual homogeneity we say that when it comes to choosing a life partner marry somebody that is born again but we all know that 
You don't know that. So somebody that is born again. So now I'm going to take it a bit further. Because marrying someone that is born again is good, but it is not perfect. 100 percent perfect. But at least you met someone that is born again, you started the journey already. So there's something I call the different levels of homogeneity. And I'll explain that. When you get born again, you get birthed into God's family. You're a member of that body. Perhaps you're a member of that body. So we should walk in unity and all that. So when you get born again, you are birthed into the body of Christ. Now, the human body has at least 12 systems that are working. So, in this body that functions unified, there are still different systems that are unique to their function and different to the other systems. It is the function of these different systems when they function in their unique assignment that is different from every other system, when all of them function differently, that the whole body functions well. There are different systems that have different assignments, different functions that run on their own. But they are running on their own ensures that the body stays alive. The primary spiritual homogeneity is that everybody should be born again. Meaning, marry from the body of Christ. Don't marry somebody that's not a member of the body of Christ. That is primary. But there is secondary. There is secondary. The secondary is what I'm talking about now. The different systems of the body. There are about 12 of them, but there are seven that are popular. We have the 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 digestive system. We have the respiratory system, the nose, down to the lungs, and all that. We have the excretory system that handles uh, the environmental sanitation of the body. We have the nervous system that makes you feel pain, your touch, and all that. And you know the other systems, there are many of them circulatory and all that. They all are independent. So, in the body of Christ, we also have this kind of different systems functioning. I'll give you an example. We have the Orthodox churches. And we have the, the like we call it the Reformed Church or, or the Protestant churches. Even under the Orthodox churches, you still have different sects. Even under the Reformed Church and the Protestant churches, you still have different sects. That is like systems running and functioning. Then when you take at least the Protestant church now, and you break it down, the same way you take the system, one system in the body, let's say the respiratory system, you break it down, you find out that there are different organs in the respiratory system, system that are all working to ensure that that system functions. Like for the respiratory system, we have the nose, we have the trichar, we have the lungs, we have the diaphragm, which is the muscle that helps you to breathe. Without that muscle, your lungs will collapse. All the different organs function to ensure that the system runs. In that same way, when you look into the Protestant church, you will see different, different kind of de denomination, which vis-a-vis -vis the body of uh, the human body is like the organs. Then you break it down further to the fourth level. Still under that Protestant um, system, we have like, let's take one organ. Like one organ is the Pentecostal church. So even under that organ, the Pentecostal church, 
we still have different denominations in that Pentecostal movement. Different denominations. Which is like the cell. Because remember, cells that have the same function in the human body come together to form a, to form a tissue. So which is like a tissue. You know, in a body. So we have the body of Christ, we have the system, we have the organs, we have, we have the tissue, then we have the cell. I'll try and explain that with the diagram, but I don't know. I think the diagram shows... Oh, beautiful. This shows it well. This is a member of XYZ Power Ministry. And he wants to marry. So the first thing... The first thing this sister, brother should look at is this sister I want to marry. Does she meet the criteria stated clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14? Is she a believer? If she is a believer, regardless of all of these other options I have here, he can marry. He can go ahead and marry her. But there are different levels in the homogeneity thing, spiritual homogeneity thing, which I'll explain. So this brother now in XYZ power ministry in his ministry the sisters we are maxi because it is taught in their ministry that if any part of your body shows that you are not really really going to heaven it is taught in his ministry remember xyz power ministry that women that wear earrings might not near heaven in fact the earring is from the sea, from the marine world. In his ministry, remember, it's XYZ Power Ministry. They are taught that if you wear ribbon or wig or do makeup, hey, abomination. That is what they are taught. So, this brother now, if he wants to marry, marrying a believer might not be totally compatible with him. Because of the teaching he has gotten. He will need to move down this homogeneity scale. To be able to find still a believer that will be totally compatible with him. So let's start the journey. So will this believer step down from the body of Christ? Let's say to the system. Remember, the body, the system. Which is where we have the orthodox churches. The protestant churches. The reformed churches. You know, will he step down there? Will he find the kind of will he find the kind of woman he wants there? I think not. He won't. So saying that just marrying a believer is okay is not totally okay. Okay, so let's go down. He now chooses from let's say the Reformed Protestant Church. Order it at the Pentecostal. So he steps down the Pentecostal. What's the Pentecostal Church? A church that believes in speaking in the Holy Spirit and all that. So at this level, this is the organ level. This is the organ level. So it says that this is the body, system, organ. But you know, we have different churches under the Pentecostal sect. And under the Pentecostal sect, we have different churches. So he needs to step down from the organ to the tissue level. So this is the tissue level. Here we have the conservative Pentecostal, we will have the ultra conservative conservative Pentecostal, which is where he belongs. XYZ Pentecostal Power Ministry is an ultra conservative Pentecostal church. 
Then we have the liberal ones. These are people at the other level. So this bro, will he go to a liberal Pentecostal church where the sisters don't tie scarf? Where the sisters wear trousers to church? Where the sisters make up? Will he go there to find a wife? He can, remember. He can even still marry an Orthodox Christian. But they will have small friction at home because he's ultra con. That same way, he can't go to just a Pentecostal church or a liberal Pentecostal church. He can't do that. He will need to narrow down his search. He will need to go out to at least a conservative Pentecostal church where at least he will find a sister that at least understands where he's coming from as per you have to carry your natural hair, no makeup, no perming, no uh, dresses that shows any part of your body. You must tie a scarf and cover your hair, no jewelry. I find a church around the conservative side that will be close to him. At that point, he will be at the tissue level. But there's a final step, which is the cell, which is the basic unit of life. It will be better for this believer, this bro, in XYZ Power Ministry, to actually marry a sister from XYZ Power Ministry. To be better for him. To look for a sister in XYZ Power Ministry and marry. At that point, they are at the, at the cell level. Do you know why? So now when he marries a liberal Pentecostal that wears trousers, and she has been used to serving God like that, makes up, does not tie scarf to church, and you get married, the next thing the man will tell you is, from today, you tie scarf. From today, you don't perm your hair again. From today, no makeup. You just rub Udako and come out. And we are fine with it. That sister is going to struggle in that marriage while she did not grow up in the Lord under that kind of under that kind of system. So she's going to have problems. That alone will start causing friction in the marriage. Are the two of them born again? Yes, they are born again. But they are not totally homogeneous. It is not hand in glove. It's not a perfect match. So though we should not be unequally yoked and unbeliever, there is still some other considerations that you must have in mind. When it comes to choosing a life partner, end of the story. Want a brother from an ultra conservative sect coming to marry a sister from a liberal sect, and the pastor of the sister told him, "Bro, I love you. You're my friend, though, and there's nothing wrong. But you see, this lady is not used to your sister. If you marry her, she will feel caged in that marriage, and it will start causing trouble in the marriage, which ought not to be so. It will cause trouble. So I advise you to look for somebody in your own system." And marry. And that's what the guy did. So it eliminates unusual friction. It is better you marry somebody that sits under the same pastor with you. So now when the man wakes up Sunday morning, goes to his church, the woman wakes up Sunday morning, goes to her church, they will come home. Ah, my pastor said this, so and he said, No, that is wrong, that is wrong doctrine. And they'll start having unnecessary arguments, they'll start quarreling, they'll have divergent views about what a particular scripture said. And that might lead to serious trouble in the marriage. So it is not worth it. It is better you marry at the cell level. Am I saying that that is a law? No. I'm not saying it is a law. The law, the Bible says, marry a believer. So an ultra conservative person can marry an orthodox person. Once the orthodox person can align and adapt to the ultra conservative setting. Once they can adapt, no problem. No problem. But once they cannot adapt, why cause trouble for yourselves? So the two of you should draw from the same well 
I don't like marriages where the husband and the wife go to separate churches. They are drawing from different worlds. They are hearing two different things. They are formed. They are being formed by two different opinion, opinions, and that is not good for the union. So I'm going to hurry along. I hope that was clear. The Bible says Amos three verse three: Can two uh, work together except they be agreed? And this agreement, like I've shown you, goes beyond just to marrying just a believer. It trickles down down to the cell. It trickles down to the local church. So I personally advocate that when you want to marry, look around your local church and marry somebody there. Then if you don't find, look around different churches that preach similar things to what your own church preaches and marry from there just to reduce spiritual friction going forward. Okay, the ninth principle, the ninth, the ninth, the ninth principle, number nine. You know, parental and pastoral counseling. This is very important. Very, 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 very important. You know, uh, I and my wife, we had a conversation on this recently and she made a valid point. She said, do you know what? That um, it's as if a lot of churches are downplaying the role of the parents when it comes to the choice of a life partner. When it comes to a lot of stuff, not just the choice of a life partner, but especially the choice of a life partner, that a lot of churches teach that if your parent is not born again, you shouldn't listen to your parent. And I stand to tell you that that is wrong. It is wrong in every form. Even if your parents, your parents are not born again, when it comes to decisions like this that are life-changing, you need to listen to your parents. Not because of their spiritual status, but because of their natural status. Which somewhat is a bit spiritual too. Yeah. Because they are the ones that gave you life. They are like the medium through which your spirit entered planet Earth. It is a spiritual role, regardless of their, you know, their own personal spiritual status. Yes, it's a spiritual role. You need to listen to them. Remember, what I said is parental and pastoral cancel, cancel, cancel. This word cancel should also be emphasized, especially when it comes to pastoral, the pastoral aspects. Now, the other extreme is that it is also taught that whatever your pastor says, you must do, you must believe. No, that is pastoral cancel. Cancel. If you joined me yesterday, I made it categorically clear that the primary way a believer is ruled or directed is by the Holy Ghost. Is by the Holy Ghost. So what parental and pastoral counsel does for a person is just like what the Bible also talked about in Proverbs. The Bible says that in a multitude of counsel, there is safety. You know, multitude of counsel, there is safety. So when you hear from parents, you hear from the pastor regarding of or regarding the choice of your life partner, it should go as a confirmation to the primary means every believer should be led, which is through the Holy Ghost. 
they should either confirm or go against your perceived choice of a life partner. They, even the parents, is not supposed to be the primary source that a believer should be led. Neither should the pastor, I know why I'm emphasizing on the pastor, neither should the pastor be the primary way you should be led. He shouldn't. Yes, I'm a pastor. I'm a different kind of pastor. Pastors usually don't. Pastors like to feel they're important. So when it comes to issues like this, they don't really preach it the way they ought to. They try to go around. So never talk about it. You know, a pastor is not the primary way you should be guided. Does a pastor have a role in guiding you? Yes, but it's supposed to be like a confirmatory guidance. In the Old Testament, yes, they were sort of the primary means God's children, the Israelites, were guided. They were guided through the prophets, the priests, and, and at the point in time, the judges. Do you know why? Because in the Old Testament, the God's children, the Israelites, we are not born again. God was not living on their inside. Because he couldn't have, because we are not born again. Until Jesus came, shed his blood, and through his blood, the Spirit could now permeate our human spirit and live on our inside for those that would give their lives to him and call Jesus into their lives. So the Old Testament saints did not have the Holy Ghost. That was why they depended on external guidance, especially from the pastor. And you also notice that another thing they did in the Old Testament, they do they did what we call fleecing. Fleecing. Based on the story in Judges about the judge called Gideon that 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 um, gathered the Israelites to war against the Midianites and they won that battle. And they freed themselves from the oppression of the Midianites. When God met him in the field, the threshing floor, and told him, and called him a man of valor and all that, told him he's going to do this and do that. He needed confirmation why he could not understand why the last born of his father, and they are from the least tribe in their village, in the least clan in their tribe, and their tribe is the least amongst the twelve in 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 in, uh, in Israel. How will God choose the last of the last of the last of the last of the last person in the whole in the whole of Israel? To lead that fight against a nation, to break the oppression of the Midianites over the Israel. He could not understand it. So he said, Okay, truly, if you are the one, God, that is sending on this assignment, I need to know. So they depended on external counter, external guidance, you know the story. So he flees. And they used to do in the Old Testament, even the priests used to do it, and they want to actually do it. It's what they call casting lots. And when you read the Bible, casting lots ended, ended 10 days before the unleashing of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that when Jesus told the disciples to go carry in the upper room and wait for the coming of the Holy Ghost, and they did, and they, and they went there, and they knew that Judas had fallen, they needed to replace him, and they said, "Can you appoint men that have been with us from the beginning?" And two names came up: Matthias and I think Justus came up, and they had to cast lots. Why? Remember, they're still waiting for the Holy Ghost to come. It is just confirmation to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. So you need to get, get that clear. So the Holy Spirit is the primary source of leading for every believer. The Holy Spirit is the primary source. So your parents are supposed to confirm. Your pastor is supposed to confirm. They can guide you, you know, because they've been there before. They've taken that walk in life before. So because of that, they are at an advantage. They can guide you, but they're not supposed to choose. Your parents are supposed to say, this is the person you marry. We've pledged you to this man. But when you are small, when you are three years old, my friend and I, we agreed that our children will marry. No! Marriage is too serious. Way too serious for that kind of stuff. 
Does that mean that if they told them marriage, that they will succeed? No, because it's not also, what makes a marriage work is when the two parties decide to work on their marriage. What the two, two of them are to work on their marriage, it will work. But as a parent, you don't mortgage the life of your children. I've had countless women come to me asking me, is there a way out of their marriage biblically? And most of them will tell me, ah, they married this person because their mother pushed them because they were having financial you know, issues at home and they felt that if the if, the, if one of the daughters married, marries, she will be, you know, getting money from the husband's house for them. So they pushed and nudged and nudged her into marrying somebody that she didn't want to marry. And this woman, after having two kids, is coming to ask, is there a way out? I don't love this woman. Man, I'm even cheating on him. I've had not one, not two, not three, not four, not about seven cases like that. We are parents put pressure on their daughters, on their sons, to marry somebody that, you know, they didn't want to marry. When it comes to the choice of a life partner, let the two people make the choice themselves because they're the two people that will live with that choice. You make that choice yourself. Very, very important. So don't let anybody push you into such choices. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't give in to those kind of things. So, but like I said, parents have their place. They have their place. And you must respect that. Why? They are your life giver. They are your life giver. So they occupy a position that is so important to your well-being. So you need to give ear to them. Now somebody will say, eh, but the Bible says, honor your parents. Obey your parents in the Lord. And I have a little... I'm not saying you should obey your parents, so you should. But I have a little... Let me bring a little balance to that thing. Let me read that scripture, Ephesians chapter 6. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. True, it's a command. In that in verse 2. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth but usually parents like us we stop in that verse we don't read verse 4 but see what verse 4 says and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath don't jump don't stop at verse 3 read verse 4 don't provoke your children don't let them get annoyed and exasperated. But bring them up in the training and in the admonition of the Lord. So, that brings the balance. But let me explain this. Children, children, children are supposed to obey without complaint. I'll say that again. Children are supposed to obey their parents without argument. Let me say the third time. Children are supposed to obey their parents. Without argument. That's what the child should do. Because the child, the Bible told us, is foolish. Doesn't know what is best for him or her. They're supposed to obey. But a legal adult is not under any obligation to obey without complaint. No. I will any day refuse that. A legal adult has the choice. He can choose to obey or not. 
a legal adult can choose to take your advice or not. But children must obey. He said, okay, give us another scripture to buttress that. Okay. I don't know how many of you remember the story of Jesus. Where they came and told him that your mother is outside and wants to see you. He was preaching somewhere and everywhere was full. Let me read just one account of that story. In Mark chapter 3. And then his brothers and his mother came and standing outside they went to him calling him. And the multitude was sitting around him. And they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. They came to tell Jesus that his mom and his brethren were outside seeking him. Now listen to Jesus' response, everybody. And he answered them saying, who is my mother? Who is my brother? He said, he, he now, and he looked around in, in a circle at those who sat about him and said, here are my mothers, here are my brothers. So the question is, hmm, if truly every child must obey their parents, why then didn't Jesus camper out of that meeting to go and answer the mom? He should have. So that means Jesus disobeyed his mom. Then if he disobeyed his mom, that means he sinned. And Rabbi told us that he was without sin. So that means he did not disobey his parents. He did not disobey his mom. He did not. He did not disobey his mom. While he was a legal adult, at this time around, he has left the home. He was 30 plus. At that age, you don't have to obey what parents do going forward when you become a legal adult is to cancel, not to command you. I've shown two scriptures. Let's show the third one. The Bible says two or three witnesses. You remember when they came looking for Jesus when his parents took him for, for Passover? And the Bible says that they left him behind. And they didn't know until they had traveled. They had traveled for like, for like a day or so. And he went for Passover. And Bible said that he was 12 years old. So they went to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished, so the Bible says, and when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, that is a company of those that they actually traveled in company, those that came from Nazareth, Nazareth, Nazareth. And they had gone one day's journey. Imagine after one day they realized that Jesus was not with them. And they sought him amongst their relatives and their acquaintances. Verse 45. So when they did not find him, they didn't they returned to Jerusalem to seek him. And so it was that after three days, they looked for him after three days, plus the one day that they noticed that he was not there. So for four days, four days. They looked for Jesus. They found him finally in the temple, seated with the teachers and listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard in verse 47, we are astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? He said, Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. So they, they reprimanded him like, why are you doing? Well, how come you just kept us like this? We've been looking for you. Now, for parents that listen to me, you understand? 
how you feel you'll be so hysterical after four days this is your son you'll be hysterical so you can imagine how mad mary was and they're like what's wrong with you they shouted at him you notice something jesus did not shout back he only just gave them one response to just give us more scriptures to the fact that joseph was not his father see what he said he said why seek why did you seek me did you not know i must be about my father's business but they don't understand the statement which he spoke to them but see the next thing jesus did in verse 51 the bible says and he went down with them and came to nazareth and was subject was obedient was submissive to them he was submissive how old was he here 12 at 12 he was a child so that place in ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 he's talking about children that are not yet legal adults they have to obey every command verse 2 says these children when they now grow they should honor their parents meaning take care of them financially you must do that that's one of the keys to your long life anyhow take care of them financially take care of their well-being it is a key to long life you must do that because they took care of you growing up when you grow up it's your turn to take care of them it is that one that has the promise it is the child that obeys the household has that promise but as an adult you when parents command you to marry this person don't say ah it's my parents i have to obey them that is not biblical because jesus clearly showed us that place we read in Matthew 3 that when they called him his mother called him this same mother called him at this time he refused to go why he had, he had other things that were more pressing so are you saying pastor that jesus not take care of his mother no he did if you remember on the cross the last thing he said was to his brother and those around him. he said hey take care of my mom he ensured that his mother was taken care of that is the honor he ensured he did that very important before he died so as a legal adult you are not under any compulsion but you must listen to your parents they are your life source you must listen to them for advice they are your life source you must listen to them for counsel they are your life source don't say yeah they're not born again don't say they always do this listen to them especially for things that concern your well-being like marriage listen to them but let it be like a confirmation to what the Holy Ghost is saying. Because as a believer, the Holy Ghost is your primary source of being led.